You're listening to Legal Talk Network. Well, hello and welcome to another special reports here on Legal Talk Network. My name is Alan Pierce. I'm an attorney in Salem, Massachusetts with the law firm of Pierce, Pierce, and Napolitano. And today's show uh, is being recorded on location. We are at the Workers' Injury Law and Advocacy Group annual conference and meeting at the Baccaro Resort in Santa Barbara, California. And joining me today is Jane Robin Wender. Jane is an attorney in Florida. Welcome to the show. And before we get started, please tell us a little bit about yourself and where you practice. Thank you for having me. I practice out of West Palm Beach in South Florida. I've been doing workers' compensation law for the last 22 years. I exclusively represent injured workers uh, in the pursuit of their benefits, which are wrongfully denied. And my practice pretty much focuses on the litigation of those claims. I have two partners uh, who do some other things, but uh, I like to litigate those cases. And you are one of the uh, presenters here uh, at this conference on a probably one of the hottest issues in workers' comp, those of us who have traveled from, in my case, Massachusetts, but anywhere in the country is looking quite hard at what's happening in Florida. There have been three court decisions. The most recent one, uh, which is known as Paget, uh, deals with You tell us. Well, it deals with the constitutionality of the statute overall, but what it really focuses on is how workers' compensation is an exclusive remedy in the state of Florida, which means that you don't have the right to sue your employer in tort or in circuit court for damages such as pain and suffering. Uh, When the Florida Constitution was first adopted in 1968, or shall I say the most current version of the Constitution, workers were entitled to a plethora of different benefits. They were entitled to 350 weeks' worth of temporary benefits, full medical care. There were presumptions that were in favor of the employee, and the claimant had the complete right to choose their physicians. Over the years, these rights have been whittled away all the way through uh, 2003 when many aspects of the law changed. We no longer are able to get a choice of doctors for our clients. There no longer is complete medical benefits. There are $10 co-payments after maximum medical improvement. And in addition, the employer carrier has the right to apportion uh, a claim uh, for pre-existing conditions. We have to prove causation by a 51% standard. And even if we succeed in doing that, if the amount or the major contributing cause of 51% is the work-related accident, 49% may be the responsibility of the employee for both medical and indemnity benefits. So the Paget case was an excellent example of showing a circuit court judge how all these takeaways have occurred since the 1968 Constitution and basically making an argument that the exclusive remedy under the workers' compensation law is no longer constitutional because they've taken away so many of the benefits over the last 40, 50 years that it no longer is a fair exchange. And this particular judge, Judge Quito, did a very good job in outlining all of the different takeaways there were and coming to the conclusion that the exclusive remedy provision of the workers' compensation law is not constitutional. And in fact, 
basically giving a claimant the right to opt out of the system. Okay. And just to sort of rewind the historical dial a bit, when we talk about the exclusive remedy and we talk about the origins of workers' comp, which goes back at least 100 years nationally, I'm not sure when Florida adopted workers' comp, but I'm sure it was within the last 100 years probably. 1935. Okay. Uh, a little later than some of the other states, but um, still, uh, it's a 70, 80-year history. Sure, 1917 seems to be the yeah. the big point. Uh, but the whole, the underpinnings was what called the great trade-off, the great bargain, sure. or the quid pro quo. So the quid, if you will, is the getting of the benefits. The quo is the giving up of rights. There's and no I quid anymore. There is no quid anymore. And various jurisdictions, probably most jurisdictions around the country, have seen in the last 20 years, any changes to the workers' comp laws have been to the detriment of employees and to the benefit of insurers and employers. So I guess what um, Paget is saying, since there is no adequate quo for the quid, that the system is doesn't meet the equal protection or due process of law. Exactly. So the question is, what's the end? Well, first of all, this is a circuit judge decision. It is. So I guess it's going up the chain? Well, it's going up the chain. Uh, normally, there are provisions where you could pass through the district court and into the Supreme Court, but the district court has to agree. And it's my understanding that the third district, which is where this case is right now, has denied the pass-through. And therefore, the third district will have to render a ruling on it. Okay. And what's the time frame you expect? Now, we're recording this show in October of 2014. So what are we looking at in terms of when briefs are filed and will oral arguments held or will this be done by brief? There probably will be oral arguments. And I imagine just like the Castellanos and the Westfall cases, there are going to be a lot of different parties who are going to chime in uh, amicus. So I would expect it to be at least 8 to 12 months. Okay. And you mentioned, we know Paget is now the latest uh, volley in this debate of whether the workers' comp statute, at least in Florida, is fair and therefore, if not fair, uh, constitutional. You mentioned two other cases which have a little bit of history, uh, Westfall and Castellanos. Why don't, why don't you just give us a very quick overview of what each of those cases stand for and how they fit into the Paget? Uh, decision. The Westfall case involved a firefighter injured in a fire who had multiple injuries, including injuries to his knee and his low back. And at the point of statutory maximum medical improvement, which under our statute is 104 weeks from the Two date years. of the accident, he was not at a point of medical maximum medical improvement. Nonetheless, the 104 week of temporary benefits, which includes temporary partial and temporary total by any combination, had concluded. He was not entitled to any more temporary benefits. He also was not entitled to permanent total disability benefits because our statute requires that one reaches medical maximum medical improvement in order to obtain permanent total disability benefits. So what what, the, what this really means is he is not working, cannot work, maybe coming in or going into surgery, and there is no wage replacement coming in for him and his family. None. So the more seriously injured person Correct. is prejudiced. Not only the more seriously injured person, imagine a claimant whose claim is denied, takes 7 to 12 months to get... You mean the, the, the clock is running on the 104 weeks? It sure is. Wow. So that judge who may then find it compensable can award the last 7 to 12 months worth of benefits, but if he requires one or two surgeries, there's no way he could physically get to a point of maximum medical improvement. So even uh, the first district 
in Westfall in their first opinion, which was later receded from, they acknowledged that this was not a rare occasion. Mr. Westfall was not an unusual claimant. It's a situation that occurs in many cases. And as a practitioner over the last 20 years, it's something we see very regularly. So this law created what we've called a statutory gap a period between the 104 weeks, and for him, since he ultimately was declared permanently and totally disabled nine months after the 104 weeks, a nine-month gap of indemnity benefits. So there's no retro on the permanent total? No, you have to be at maximum medical improvement. Now, this is a change that was occasioned, what, 20-plus years ago with workers' comp so-called reform? 1994. Yeah. Now, Castellanos is... Um, an attorney fee issue, which while one might argue, well, who cares about the attorney's fees? Being an attorney who depends on those fees, I can't represent injured workers unless I can somehow get paid for it. I don't want to, I I have done cases pro bono, but tell us what Castellanos had to say about this. In addition to all these takeaways that started in the 1994 statute and continued on to the 2003 statute. In 2003, they attempted to take away hourly attorney's fees. Now recognize that claimants' attorneys only get paid when we win. And the Supreme Court ultimately reversed that provision because the statute still said reasonable attorney's fees. But what the legislature did in 2009 is, and this is hard to believe, they simply went into the statute and took out the word reasonable meaning that regardless of the amount of time, regardless of the reputation of the attorney, regardless of comparable rates in the legal community, regardless of the relationship and how long you've had it with your client, you're not entitled to an hourly fee. You are set at a 10% plus $750 fee. And in Castellanos, I think there was a prodigious amount of work that I think worked out to 7 bucks an hour. You're overestimating it. I think we might like $7 per hour. It was less than $2 per hour. Really? Uh, It was a controverted case, and um, benefits were obtained through trial, and the attorney was awarded less than $200, somewhere around that range. Sounds like close to 100 hours worth of work. Which, I, I have to say, keep in mind that we advance costs in Florida. So in many cases, I'm trying a case where I've put out my own three or $4,000 in order to maybe receive a fee of somewhere between $500 and $3,500. Now, this doesn't affect big cases like permanent total disability cases, but even those cases aren't as big because the legislature took away some permanent total disability benefits. They now end at the age of 75, and supplementals, which used to be 5%, are now 3% and end at the age of 62. So even those cases aren't as big, but most of the cases that get litigated in Florida are smaller type issues. You could end up going to trial on the issue of authorization of an MRI. You could end up going to trial on the issue of compensability of a hernia, which will result in perhaps six weeks weeks of benefits and a $3,000 surgery at the fee schedule. So what has happened in Florida is that a lot of good attorneys have run. They've changed practices. The good attorneys that have stayed are fighting the good fight. But what really hurts the injured worker is that a lot of the attorneys who don't do litigation are settling these cases for between five and $10,000. They're not litigating benefits. They're not filing claims. They're not doing anything to obtain benefits that 
Claimants are legally entitled to, and insurance companies know that most attorneys aren't going to litigate these cases. So it's, it's really there's hurt. There's an incentive to deny. It's really hurt the injured worker. Well, uh, I know we've just scratched the uh, surface of this or the tip of the iceberg of this. I know all of us around the country are watching what happens here in Florida with Paget and its predecessor cases. We've all experienced workers' comp reform in various guises, some nowhere near as egregious as what has happened in Florida. But I think the warnings have been sounded uh, that to the insurance industry or to the employer interests, be careful what you wish for. It may not be the ultimate result. And we don't know what the end result will be, whether Paget will return to the old workers' comp statute, whether it will just scrap it entirely. Um, whether there could be an opt-out. Which or an opt-out, which could be disastrous. Uh, worse, worse. So uh, we'll watch it. I want to thank you for your interest. I want to thank you for educating us. Uh, we're here to learn about this so that we can be prepared to fight back when we need to. So, um, uh, Jane Robin, if any of our listeners want to reach out to you or learn more, how can they... Uh, how can they find you? They can contact me by email at jrw at injuredworkersonly.com. Call me at 561-272-9510. Well, thank you very much for joining us today. This has been another edition of Special Reports. I'm Alan Pierce. Until next time, thank you for listening. Thank you for having me, Alan. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.